Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank. Mark, Mark, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I got to know, who are you, Mark? Who are you? Uh, my name's Mark Edward, and I'm a uh, mentalist, and I'm also a science uh, activist. Uh, I've done magic since I was a child, and I'm trying to use my magic now to educate people uh about how easy it is to get fooled and, and fool yourself uh, in an entertaining way. So I'm not a debunker. I don't like that word. I am a science advocate, and uh, uh, I believe that all, all magic is science. So if you start from that premise, that's pretty much where I'm at today. You're kind of doing what I talked about with Susan. Um... I know you do a lot of the operation making as well, too, and also the yeah, naming. Su Su Susan and I live together. We're a, we're a team. We are partners. And we, we've been putting these things together for about eight, eight or nine years now, uh, working really hard to get the word out and show people that there's an alternative to, uh, <clears throat> to just unrational and crazy thinking. Yeah, well, it's being beneficial and helping out people. I think when Susan explained it to me, it's like there's a lot of people that get duped out of five dollars, and that five dollars happens to be that all that someone has in a sense. It's a, it's yeah. It's a, to, to me, it's not so much the money; it's the emotions and the the manipulation. Because coming from a magic background, I I understand misdirection and manipulation, and uh, so that's where I'm coming from. She's She's more of a, uh, how can I put it? She's an information hound. She loves to, uh, to dig into things. And, uh, uh, you know, but we're, we're basically on the same page. We, we work, work very well together. Well, when it comes to the operations that you As guys you may do, have seen. Well, she was talking a lot about the operations that you guys do together. So when it comes to the operations that you guys do, um, where do you come up with the names and how do you come up with the topics and the operation type tactics that you guys use? Because her explaining it to me was like, these are like full on investigative things that I would ex expect like an undercover agent or a SWAT person to do. You're infiltrating these, um, I guess, scenarios where something like this is happening and people are in a sense getting duped and you're trying to be able to figure it out and be able to kind of expose it in a sense and write about it without being exposed yourself. I mean, that's a complicated strategy. Well, we, we don't try, we do it. We, you know, cause we, with our combined backgrounds, uh, we don't, we're pretty much fearless. Our only fear in the big picture is getting sued by somebody, but we try to make it so that we're, we cover our behinds with whoever is uh, sponsoring or behind, you know, reporters or television stations or whatever. So no, we don't, 
we we've been doing this a long time. I started doing it back in oh, let's see. The I think the first real sting I did was against Sylvia Brown at the Universal Amphitheater in in Hollywood. And that video is up if you want to look at it. I don't want to really go into the details, but basically uh, we got her pretty good. And then we started picking various psychics to hone in on. And uh, my, part of my background is in performance art because I was, I, uh, I did magic as a kid and always loved it. And then I got into rock and roll and then I settled in on art but the art that I did was performance art. So my thing is getting out on the street and uh, confronting things. Uh, Susan will do it, uh, but she doesn't like to do it, that sort of thing alone. She does the, the information sourcing and uh, getting the info that we need and setting up the actual technical aspects of the sting. <coughs> Excuse me, I have some allergies, that's why I'm coughing. So we put those two together and we've got a pretty powerful uh, pretty powerful set of tools in our toolbox so uh, again my thing is uh, i think of the names because a lot of the art i did in the late 60s and early 70s was based on food because people tend to remember food uh, they remember things that have to do with food they're co it's common to all people and it's kind of they're kind of quirky so people can identify with them. Uh, and it's my belief that they remember them a lot easier than if it was called, you know, something more complicated or more than one word or two words. So I thought of the names and they're pretty easy. They're labels. They're just like a bottle on the shelf that we can, we can go into and find really easily. So I don't really have a real strong reason why we chose those names, but they seem to be popular. Do you find that you get nervous in situations like that? Like when you're trying to go after someone or you're trying to expose someone, do you find that you um, get a little bit, I guess, adrenaline going through you, you get a little nervous if, because I mean, legal action, even though it's over in court and it's kind of settled in that sense, it's still scary. I mean, for instance, like I was mentioning to you off air, um, after Susan's episode, I got a whole entire bunch of psychic people that were messaging me saying, if you want to really hear a story, let me come on the show. And obviously it's going to be from their perspective, but it seems like you guys are well known, at least uh, to, to be of avoidance, I would say. Well, we just don't really care because they, they can, you know, anecdotes are not evidence. And if they want to threaten us, you know, we we've come to terms with the fact that, you know, go ahead, threaten us. You know, if you if you really want to come after us, you're going to have to prove that you can talk to dead people in court. But you know, if they have this, that proof, though, if they have a really crappy video. No, that's not a video <laughs> is not is not evidence. Uh, you know, it's it, it comes down to. Showing us something that we uh, we passed before all of our other uh researchers and people who've been doing this for 40 50 60 years and and then we'll talk about it but it's just never happened i mean despite the fact that there might have been a time in my past where i 
I wish something like this would happen, you know, but it was fanciful. And the more years I worked with skeptics and people who, the reason why I got involved with the skeptic community is in, around 1970 when I met Russell Targ and Hal Putoff and went to one of their seminars, I realized, and this is when Geller was just hitting really big, I realized that if something real, quantifiable and repeatable was happening, uh, the, the, the greater amount of information and truth, if you will, was gonna come from uh, skeptics and scientists. It wasn't gonna come from uh, guys that uh, work in a parapsychology lab because they're predisposed to, you know, for funding and other reasons of believing whatever they want. They're not necessarily using a scientific method. So <clears throat> I figured if something comes up, the skeptics are probably going to be, since they were offering a million dollars at the time, uh, there was a possibility maybe I would come across something. But now it's been you know, 30 years, and uh, I've seen many interesting things, but I don't, I don't see any, I'm an agnostic, you know, it's like, I don't say that it's absolutely impossible. It's just unlikely. <laughs> Susan and I have a phrase we use a lot when we travel, and that is, what is more like, that's what you have to ask yourself is what is more likely that this person can talk to the disembodied spirit of somebody or they're just a darn good uh, talker and manipulator. Do you ever find that there's some things like you can't find an answer for? Like, is there anything that you've come across? Sure, I see, I see magic tricks all the time that I don't have an answer for. Yeah, but if they're, <laughs> they're, a if they're a magic person or they're saying I'm magic or a magician, like a person on the street or something is different from a psychic who runs a whole business with a sign in their front yard that's been broken down since like the 80s. That's, that's, that's the whole point. It, there isn't any difference. Psychic being, calling yourself a psychic and having a sign in your front yard is a performance piece. They are performers. If they were real, the whole fabric of our reality would be totally distorted. It would be a frightening existence to live in. Then if why is it one... so popularized, though? Like if you look through newspapers or if you look for ads, I get it. People can sell ads to anything. You can get an ad for anything to promote your business as long as you got the cash for it. But there's a large That's amount right. of people being duped every single day. And it just seems like you're going up against impossible odds in a sense with the number of people that believe in astrology, the number of people that worship horoscopes like they're they'll identify as a Capricorn if you meet them. Well, you know, there's a lot of stupid people out there. And, uh, you know, I don't think I have to, I mean, I'm not saying I'm better or anything. I'm just more, it's a matter of education and making yourself open to alternative answers. Uh, once you see that horoscopes don't work and you talk to some people who have who have just made things up and put them in newspapers, it becomes abundantly clear that you can say anything you want. It doesn't mean that you have any powers. If somebody could actually predict the future, they would be the most dangerous person on the planet. I, I say this every time I speak before large groups. I mean, it, only, it would only take one person who could... <clears throat> you know, move an object with their mind to uh, completely disrupt everything that they could move, say, a satellite an inch off of its uh, 
off of its orbital pattern, it could uh, wreak havoc for everybody. So we don't, we just don't see this kind of evidence. We see a lot of anecdotes and we hear a lot of stories and I could tell you some of my own, but that doesn't mean that, uh, the deal is I believe things happen. Weird shit happens all the time. And if it didn't happen, then I would worry. But the point is, it's it's not it's not supernatural. These are natural occurrences. You know, I when I worked as a psychic for nine years, I I heard a lot of stories from people who were convinced of what they had seen and experienced was real. And to them it was real, just like it's real to people who feel like they've been abducted by aliens. But the, the, the crux of it is, is it an external thing, an outside source from outer space, or is it in their head? That's, that's, what, it, that's what the investigation comes down to, is you have to determine, you know, if it's an exterior force and you can control it, we want to see it. But unfortunately, and, and one of the reasons I got out of doing testing for IIG, I was involved with uh, Center for Inquiries uh, Independent Investigation Group for about six years, is most of these people who make claims, they truly believe they have a power. But when, it, when they agree on a mutual testing procedure and it's followed through by the team that I worked with, they can't make it happen. And they're completely crestfallen. They're like, well, I know I have this power. And we were like, well, you didn't, you don't get the $100,000. We had a $100,000 reward. And after a while, I just couldn't do it because I realized that it wasn't people who were trying to trick the investigators. It was people who were thinking or deluded. They had mental issues that they really had these powers. And that's sad. You know, when you, when you spend six years dealing with one failure after another failure, and you, and these people, what would happen is after they failed the test, we had this blowback thing where about a week after they failed the test, then they'd start attacking us saying that we didn't use proper controls or there was negative energy in the room, you know, that famous one. So it got depressing. I just stopped doing it. I feel like it has to get depressing because in a sense you're you're helping people, but you're also I wouldn't say killing the magic because um, it's not really magic. It's it's a, it's a Ponzi scheme. It's a scam in a sense as well, too. It just like it, that's where I draw the line a little bit, too, when we talk about people who actually believe these types of things as well, because I think we all know people that are 100 percent convinced everything in their life has aligned up to that point that has got them to believe that they could talk to the dead. But then what about the people that say there was a power gifted to them by God? And then you get into this weird territory where people in society will reject you for even going against a religious claim of that sort. Well, that's a, that's a whole other issue. You know, if you want to get into theology, you can't win because it's uh, backed up by thousands of years of superstition. And I remember talking to Randy one time and I said, Randy, you know, if you really want to get to the bottom of this, you're going to have to go to the Vatican. And he just shook his head and laughed because it's that's too big. You know, you when you challenge a person's belief system, particularly religion, 
uh, you're treading on an area that is very personal. Spiritual beliefs are different from person to person. You can have a mystical experience, which you cannot necessarily explain. So you just hold it in, in, your, in your heart and in your mind and you say, no, this happened to me. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's when people start to preach it and push it and say, no, my God, not yours. You know, people used to say to Randy or they'd ask him, they, they'd say, do you believe in God? And he'd say, which one? You know, Zeus, uh, Hermes, uh, uh, Poseidon, Wh which one are you talking about? So, I mean, a religion, once you slide into that slag heap, you're, you're getting into an area that's very personal. And a lot of people who are psychics start their readings by doing a prayer. So they do that for a couple of reasons. One is to use religion as a shield. And the other is they're, they're getting a nonprofit status and they're able to take in money uh, without paying taxes on it. That's what Sylvia Brown did, started her own church. So when you go to the bottom of it, follow the money and you'll see, you know, a lot of people say, well, my psychic doesn't take any money for his work. That was a famous one, you know. And yeah, they don't take any money for their work, but they, they'll take other things in kind. You know, they'll take land or somebody's car or a hulking big jewel or, you know, because people want to give them something in return for their so-called visions and light so uh it, it's it has a rich tradition with mediums of not taking anything in payment but that doesn't mean that they're not uh figuring out a way to make it work their while uh, i mean there's very few people who i mean i break it down to about 95 percent of the people out there who say they're psychics or mediums and again i want to i want to make sure you understand this is in my experience. These are my observations. Anybody else may have a totally different take on it, but <clears throat> in my researches and uh, observances, 95% of the people who are out there are charlatans who are, they know that they're just making shit up. They have no particular personal skills or degrees in anything. Uh, now the other 5%, I break it in half, 2.5 and 2.5. I would say 2.5 are people who believe that they have some sort of gift. Uh, they may be mentally ill. They may be deluded. They may be off their meds. You know, I've met people who are schizophrenic, who hear voices. And when they stop taking their meds, they, they, seem, they, they convince themselves that voices are talking to them. The other 2.5% are actually kind, compassionate, very intuitive people who are willing to listen and they don't judge. So when you, but the problem is when you balance that 2.5 against the other 97.5, <coughs> the odds are not good. Yeah, but what leads that down to the eventual goal of a cult? I mean, that's the thing is that I'm looking at society now and so many people. Cult. Well, hold, give me a second. I'm thinking at society on a grander scale of how believable everyone is in of a certain belief that they choose that fits their narrative, not the whole narrative. So, I mean, cults that happened back in the day, people's temple. 
a person coming on screen and saying that they're a, 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 the son of God or Jesus Christ himself and starting a whole bunch of people following them, trying to get them to drink Kool-Aid or whatever the hell that one goes. To think that that's not going to happen again, or there's not things like that out there already. If you hear stories from ex-Jehovah's Witnesses or ex-Mormons, how crazy it got where you had to cut off ties with your family. To me, that's in the same realm. And that's still yeah, happening science. today. Yeah, Scientology. I, I'm not arguing that point. It It is happening. And that's why it needs to be challenged and people need to be willing to get out on the street and uh and uh, take take an, an action, you know. Be be an activist. Uh, an activist is somebody who who uh, recognizes these things and and tries to make a difference, as small as it may be. I mean, Susan and I, mostly Susan, she gets letters all the time from people who who went to some uh, a psychic like Thomas John and bought into it and then they see one of her videos or they read one of her articles and they realize wow i bought into that whole thing so she gets plenty of testimonials from people saying thank you so much now my eyes are open and i really want to make a difference how can i join up with your group and and uh, and and deal with this so yeah it's like a salmon swimming upstream i'm not gonna nobody's gonna stop a cult like the catholic church or scientology but you can at least make people aware that there's another way to think about it. And that is the key is a magic trick, you know, a, mag a good magic illusion. You can leave people with the illusion, which is what most people like. They just say, hey, that was entertaining and they move on. Or you can find out what the secret is. And some people don't want to know the secret. So that's the world we live in is that the truth is not always what people want. And I'm not saying I have any absolute truth either. I just know what I've experienced. Well, that's what scares me right there is that people just don't want to know. I get it and I understand that. But what happens if that becomes the general public? It seems like people want to know a lot when it comes to politics and what's going on in their world. But when it comes to like this mysterious belief, people, even if they know that it might be false or they'll just reject you. And I'm trying to wonder why that isn't the mainstream of like skeptics, for instance. There's popular skeptics out there. I've talked to a few. But you look at this aspect of like, do they have their own network? Do they have their own thing on television exposing this stuff? No, that doesn't really sell. Susan was telling me what sells is the people that are able to show you magic tricks or be able to show you some types of illusions or some type of fortune teller type thing and even shows like Ghost Whisperer. That's what sells is like people love that mystery. But how do we make being informed that this isn't a possibility or from your experience isn't a possibility? How do we show that that a lot of times these are just scams and Ponzi things? And that's why we see those happen every single day. Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes with that gene, whatever machine that she had saying she could. Right. Take a, that's happening all the time. And it's only going to keep evolving and evolving and evolving. And you have people that are losing not just five dollars. They're losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's right. Especially all behind you, the name of can, science. All you can do is what you can do. You know, I can't do anything about what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, the, the, uh, uh, a, a psychiatrist would say, worry about the things you can put your hand, hands on and forget about the things you cannot control. And that's all you can do. That's all we, Susan and I, can do to keep our sanity. You know, we're not, 
We're not trying to save the world because 95% of the world are watching Dr. Phil or they're watching Dr. Oz. That doesn't mean that what we're doing is, you know, we're not feeling threatened by it. We just laugh at it because that's the, that's the uh, level of understanding of science is, is what's on at from 10 to noon in the morning on, on uh, TV networks. So they don't, they know what sells soap flakes. They're not, they're not going to tell people, hey, there's no God or there's no magic in the world. It's just common sense. But we don't let that get under our skin when we go after somebody who's telling their, their parent, uh, a child, a murdered child's parent, that, uh, you know, they can get in touch with their, their daughter or their, their missing, missing person in their life. That's, it's a totally different world. You know, let people watch Lassie and the Rifleman and, you know, I love Lucy and all that. Who cares? It's, it, it's, I won't say it's harmless, but it doesn't, it's not a threat to science. I mean, science is what we are proposing to be, to try and get it to become more exciting so that people like when Cosmos was on or uh, some of the other science shows that had a huge viewership. The idea is to get people to think the secrets of magic are what's interesting. How you get somebody to believe that this is one thing when it's really another. The mechanisms that work with belief systems, once you puncture that, it gets people to think. And all we really, really want to do is get people to think. Again, what is more likely that there is this huge... Uh, God in the sky who throws firebolts, or whether it's just something that helps people get through life, like alcohol or drugs or anything else. Yeah, I, I get that so aspect. I, you of know, like, I don't, I don't that, worry about it. I get that aspect of there's things that you're not going to be able to change about people's belief systems and stuff. But I start wondering is that you start to see the pitchfork. I don't turn. want to. Well, I, that's what I said. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that there's an aspect of when the pitchfork turns and it goes on to science. Numerology and all these things can be labeled as a pseudoscience, but eventually people can just push that barrier and say, what does science knows? If people use the term science like it's a hijacked term now, they say trust the science yeah. on, a, on, a, on, a, on a tweet that could be about Pepsi. So I start looking at it like it, that's losing that's credibility in a sense for some people who are just part of the general public, maybe not someone who knows what actual science is. You wait a couple generations, you'll have more people believing in horoscopes than they do actual physical biology or other types of things that we're able to study and be able to show and explain a whole historical record of. It seems like more people are interested in a magical being in the center of the earth rather than if it's a lava or if it's whatever. That's what I'm saying is that you're seeing the kind of decline in a sense. It's not, I, I mean, I'm a younger generation, so I'm, I guess I'm looking more towards kids that are going to be growing up to hit my age and next thing you know they see this aspect i'm just wondering if you leave are you think that there would be a legacy of skeptics out there not just a record on the internet but something where people are going to want to be incentivized to go chase after and pursue it seems like just the topics are thrown off people are debating ufos but besides actual debunkers or whoever that are showing you it's not ufos they're talking about no that's not that ufo this is this is a gray or this is this. It's like, you're still debating the UFO topic. Like it's, you're, you're just breaking it into different categories. And then you're seeing infighting with that. 
I'm wondering if science is actually going to still be around in the next 100 and 200 years, or we're not just going to land in some movie of like idiocracy where everyone's watering the crops with Gatorade. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's a possibility. I'm trying, dude. To, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, yeah. But the thing is you make it sound, I, I think you're, you're, you're on this, you're in this worldview, which is totally understandable where you don't think that science and skepticism has been around. Galileo, you know, was a radical skeptic. And they put him know? on house arrest. Do you want all our scientists I, to be I, on house I, arrest? I, under, I understand that. I'm just using that as an example. It's this skepticism or rational thinking is not something that just cropped up in the last 30, 40 years. It's been around. And science, I mean, a jet plane flies because of science, not because of magic. It flies because so, of chemtrails. That's why. Well, but see, that's why I think that <laughs> when you're when you're doing a podcast that's on based kind of on questioning the paranormal, you uh, you're observing that's not my it show. through. No, but I'm just saying in general. Uh, one of the things we found is that a lot of people have the. Well, no, I'm going to say this the, the other way around. When we did a protest against Sylvia Brown in Las Vegas, we were, in other words, you can get insulated into thinking that there is no hope and that everybody's stupid and everyone's going to drink the Kool-Aid or the Gatorade or whatever. But when we actually got out on the street and we handed out flyers and we talked to people, it turned out an awful lot of people already knew about Sylvia Brown and knew that she was bullshit more than we would ever have imagined. So don't take it for granted that there aren't people out there. They may not be scientists. They may not be, uh, you know, uh, skeptics, but they're just people who are like, that's bullshit. And they know it, but they don't have the time. They're too busy raising their family and taking the kid to soccer practice to get involved. So the difference is there's a lot, also a lot of other people who do want to get involved, but they don't know that there's any other any other modality that they can uh, they can learn from we've met many people who just never heard of heard of pareidolia or or uh, some of the things that as skeptics we take for granted because we're so steeped in that that we we just say oh that's pareidolia oh look at this picture i took of this cloud doesn't it looks like a dragon what does that mean so and you know what pareidolia is right mm -mm. oh okay Pareidolia is a, a, an effect in nature where the, the eyes and the brain want to make sense out of something random. So that's why you see like Jesus in a piece of toast or a face in a tree or a cloud that looks like a dragon or whatever. I mean, imagine what it was like a thousand years ago when people would see something like that. It would seem like something very magical. So we have met people. I'm just using that as an example at paranormal conventions and whatnot, where they come up to us with all these photographs, explain this, explain this. And we say, it's pareidolia. And they're like, what's that? And we say, it's, it does look like a face, but that doesn't, it's like, I'm sure you've seen the famous picture of the dog's ass that looks like Jesus. No, I don't Have know. Where, I haven't seen that, no. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's, it's a common trait because uh, the, the, the brain wants to make sense out of something totally abstract. But if you don't know about it and it's not something that you would look up and research, 
then it seems like magic. It's like, explain this. Look, here's Jesus in a tree trunk. That's, that's the, I'm going to put some flowers here because I really believe that's real. It is real, but it doesn't necessarily equate to a spiritual manifestation. I'm not saying it is impossible again, but what is more likely? Did the tree just grow that way or did somehow some magical being imprint themselves on the wood? I'm sure you've seen pareidolia before. Do you think that there would just be, if there was like better explanations about like, like there's people that talk about like, uh, who is it? It's Noah who parted the seas where he talked about seeing a burning bush. They found out it might be a thing called the cicatia bush, which is like a psychedelic drug in a sense. And maybe they were seeing illusions of these types of things that helps bring more of a rationale to the story. Um, I feel like with a lot more of like education, especially I would say not really a requirement, but more like a moral obligation as a magician like yourself is doing what you do is that if we had more magicians like David Blaine shows you how to do his tricks, you know, if you had more of that happening out there in the world and more of that publicized. No, no, because because David Blaine is clearly an entertainer. He's not saying he's a psychic or a prophet. That's a totally different thing. But he's exposing the it. tricks that people make up. See, people lead to assumptions. If David Blaine sticks an who's, ice pick who's in his- exposing, Who's exposing the tricks? David Blaine will expose his own tricks. He'll show well, you how he I, does something. Like if he stood in a box for, what is it? He was in a box for a week and he gave all the yeah. tips, uh, tricks of how he did that. But everyone saw him. It looked like he was like just underground in a box, not moving. And people were skepticizing that he was replacing the person out and it was a twin brother that he had or something like that. But he showed everyone once the trick was over and the special aired and everything, he let everyone know in an interview that. Well, that's I think I think that that's up to the individual magician. You see that your career is not going in the trajectory that you want to go. You might you might give away a few secrets. Uh, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that. But my point is, he's not, he's not a medium that suddenly says, you know, I was just making all this shit up. I can't really talk to dead people. He's a performer who goes, he has a proscenium arch, or he has a TV show, or he has this that frames his, it's like people say about me, they say, oh, you play both sides of the street, and you, you don't do a disclaimer. And yeah, that's true. But the point is, if you go to my website within the first 20 seconds you'll know exactly where i stand but you have to be willing to go to the library do your homework otherwise you're left with the illusion and that's the way i like it because that i want people to do a little work i don't want to just hand them a secret if i hand them a secret then the magic is over do you find that People are just picking the answer that's placed in front of them. They're just lazy, not really looking into things. They're just rather, oh, it's it's religion. Okay. Most people just go with Occam's razor. You know, are you familiar with Occam's razor? Yeah, I had a, I was going to have a guest that wrote a book on that, but then Susan's episode came out and that ain't happening. Yeah, it's just go with the most logical answer. That's usually what's true. As the older we get as adults, we complicate things. Most kids, if you do magic for kids, which I love to do, they can see through everything and they just do it because they don't know any better and they don't they don't attach any uh, complicated, you know, superstitious chumbo to it. They just say, hey, it was in that hand. I'm sure it's in that hand instead of the other hand. So that's using their intuition. So a child's intuition is 
much more powerful than, uh, you know, Howard Stern. <laughs> I wouldn't compare anything to that guy. Yeah, but I, I, my point is somebody can be a, an entertainer and a, a interviewer, but that doesn't mean they have the innocence and the, the uh, uh, intuition of a child who just doesn't know any better. But so they do. Do you think that a lot of the issues that might be is that people insert their own kind of ideas into something and it kind of gets lost along the way? I feel like that's an easy way to get duped is if you're expecting something when really it's just something that's right in front of your face. It seems like people are more worried about something else, kind of like taking your attention. I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, it's a complicated question. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I just have to think it through. Uh, Put some eye drops in. Try it again. Try to try it. Say it again. So I can. <laughs> um, I, I'm th the way I'm looking at it as a lot of people want to see the that we all know the tortoise and the hare story. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race. So if you're or if you know that basis of something, if you see a trick where something's going faster and another thing's going slower, you're immediately going to assume that something's going to happen where the slower thing ends up winning in the end. It's like right. betting on a horse, not really betting on a horse. You're thinking about the fastest one. So you're looking at, well, this horse was faster. This horse was faster. It's kind of like predicting. You're yeah. putting so much to the table in your own head of what you're building it up to be. Like a lot of people fight battles in their own head. Then you get a paragraph text where it's like, nah, nah, nah. it's like, what just happened? We haven't talked in like four days or three days, but it's like they, to them, the battle was still going on and it was happening in their head. They were playing out multiple scenarios and scenes. It's how I explain a Karen. When, with the mass mandate, they walk up to you on a yeah. level 11 and it's like, whoa, why are you so like, I, all you gotta do is say, Hey, pull the mask up. I'll do that. And it's like, they were already wondering how the battle was going to go in their head. They're bringing too much to the table. I find if you just come to the table, like how I do in these conversations, just be here in the moment, you notice more, you're more in tune to everything that's going on around you. And I feel like that's with kids as creative as they are, they yeah. just come to the table with full attention. They come to everything. That's so right. they, they see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. They see it happen in real time. They're not, they're not worried about what was or what is going to be in the next 10 minutes. They're right there. And yeah, I think you just explained, uh, <laughs> You just explained uh, doing magic for children. However, when they get to be around nine or 10 or 11, then they start questioning things because magic, uh, they've been fooled already too many times and they start to lose that innocence. So I don't like to do magic for kids that are in that nine, 10, 11, 12 age range. They're very tough because they take it, they take it personal. Yeah. Cause you're lying to them. You're trickster that's right that's right it's how you get tricked and you bite into the apple that ruins all of humanity um yeah but but i i think like it's weird because the innocence factor there's two spectrums to it innocence in the sense that someone just got duped by a tarot card reader because they actually started believing something's led them to that point and believing that and then innocence from a child just watching magic there's that innocence there as well too it just the range of innocence that really well, lays wait. upon a person's life I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. It's a spectrum. <clears throat> However, and I may, this may be controversial, but I don't see anything wrong with the tarot reading if it's entertaining and it helps you. I had one on the show and they seven of the things they said came true. So 
because the tarot tarot is a is a fantastic tool for for relating to another human being. It gives you this kind of passport to say things that you would never say to a stranger. It's personal. And that, yeah, and that is so unusual that if you start to develop the synergy, it it can reveal some awesome things. Okay, but it is not supernatural or magic. It's just a set of archetypes that are common to all people. And because you are bringing those things up, you are causing that other person to think it through for themselves. So again, I don't have any, any problem with tarot as an entertainment. And if you find somebody that gives you some kind of answers, there's nothing wrong with it. But if they say, bring me a thousand dollars and I'll help you get your, uh, find your dead sister or your, uh, your, your missing sister. That's where it crosses the line. That's why my book, Psychic Blues, that's why it's called Psychic Blues. I didn't because, even know you wrote a book until now. Yeah, I wrote a book uh, about 10 years ago called Psychic Blues, which is about my adventures uh, where I infiltrated the psychic market. I, I was working as a medium at the Magic Castle in Hollywood. And I realized that, you know, magic tricks were one thing, but if you read somebody's palm or you gave them a decent reading, they'd stand in line for hours to talk to you. Whereas if you did a four ace trick, they'd be like, yeah, that's cute. You know what? The magic castle real quick. Can we touch on that? Did they have a secret room in the magic castle? No, they had a seance room that you had to you had to be invited or uh, you had to be part of a party of uh, 12. You had to like hit the wall two times and spin the drywall or something. And there's like a back room that pops out. You know what I'm talking about? Well, no, there's a, when you enter the magic castle proper, when you go in, you go into the lobby, there's a bookshelf that opens up where you go in. But the, the seance room was upstairs. It was in one of the turrets of the castle. And it was a room that was uh, set up for the Houdini seance. It had a, a, a huge collection of Houdini's, Houdini's memorabilia. So I did that. I did the seance there for 14 years. Not all the time. You know, I was the backup medium. So I got to go in there a couple times a month. But it was uh, quite an experience. Again, it led to this idea that people just want to hear about themselves. They could give a shit about the talking hand or the rubber rubber skull or whatever they just want to know they have really deep questions they want answers for and if there's somebody there who will give those answers to them they'll be more than happy to sit down and listen so that's that's where my my book came from i realized i saw started seeing these psychics and people like geller i realized hey i can do this so my goal was to infiltrate and go as high or as low, depending on how you look at it, into the psychic marketplace, because believe me, it is a marketplace, and sell myself as the real deal, because most psychics don't have the background. Hang on. You were there 14 years. That's not an infiltration. That's a fucking job. That's a career. No, that was my job. But in the meantime, I was infiltrating the Psychic Friends Network. I don't know if you remember them. And I was working at a spiritualist church and I was doing celebrity parties. All these things are in the book where I played it off as if I was the real thing, because most psychics and I that may have changed over the last 15 years. But most psychics don't have the benefit of being 
a performer who's worked in front of an audience for many years. They they just don't have any stage presence or any, you know, uh, personality. So I was able to develop a personality. And I said, I am going to show these people. I'm going to get them to think that I am the real deal. And I'm going to penetrate this market and go as far as I can and then write this book about it. So that's what the book is about. Did um after working there for so long, you didn't have the thought of like, I could just keep this gig forever and not have to worry about like, it's, it's, I'm guessing it was good money if you stayed in it for so long. No, it wasn't good money. In fact, it was uh, peanuts compared to what I could make if I decided to become a quote, professional unquote psychic. Well, I mean, you're comparing it to that, but I mean, just in the aspect of like, it's, it probably was easy after a while, but when was, when was the change? Like, when did you just decide I'm going to go the complete opposite route with it? Uh, after about six or seven years when I had amassed enough information to write a book and I had had all these adventures in Hollywood, you know, different people and different agents and going to different parties. And it was, it's kind of a, it's dark humor. I mean, it's funny, really. Uh, the the audio book, I highly recommend the audio book because it's funny because I'm reading it. And by the time I did the audio book, I was so sick of the whole thing that there's this kind of tone in my voice, which which is funny, you know, and I put I put a lot of things in the audio book that aren't in the regular book, uh, the, the book that's for sale because the publisher uh, wanted just the down and dirty stuff. He didn't want any of the fun stuff. So when I read it, narrated it, I added in all the funny, goofy things that happened. Could you, put give, some music. Could you give me one like example from your book? Because if you're doing an investigation, did you have like one where it was like just a stupid kind of experience that you had? <laughs> None of them were stupid experiences. I would call them fascinating uh, tableaus of, uh, of human nature. I guess the one that I was just talking about to somebody the other day was I did a really high end party in Beverly Hills and uh, it was this couple. I got to their house and everybody was dressed to the nines. I'm sure they were somebody famous, but I didn't know who they were. And I was doing palmistry. And uh, as when I got there, I'm looking around the living room and everything was dog oriented. They, They had like over the fireplace, a huge painting of a of a guy in a uh, suit of armor, but it had a dog's head on it, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay. And then, uh, so I start doing palm readings. Things are going well. People are enjoying it. And then the hostess comes up to me. This is in the book, by the way. And she's acting really kind of edgy. And I'm like, is there something wrong? And she says, well, I have something I have to ask you. I'm like, go ahead. And she said, it's really weird. I'm like, even better. She says, would you read my dog's paw? Jesus Christ. And I said, without skipping a beat, of course. I do it all the time. So now we're into improv territory, right? Where I had to totally play the part. And I, I won't go into what happened, but let's just say it it went into an area that was totally unexpected and uh, was one of my cherished memories of uh, of that part of my life because it just spiraled into uh, something very memorable 
So without going into the details, yes, I read her her puppy's paw and they were blown away. And so, so was everybody else who was in the room. Um, So it's, it comes down to what is your intention? Is your, is your intention to entertain or is it to rip people off? You mentioned before about uh, they, a lot of them didn't have like a good stage presence when it came to larger audiences. Yes. Do you think yes. a, a lot of like the ease that comes with it is also like I was saying before about like we were talking about innocence, just coming to the table with nothing on your mind. It seems like if you're trying so hard because there's so many more people out there to keep the illusion up, it's going to be more difficult. But if you just enter it and you kind of sit there and, you know, be entertaining more than you are focused on trying to maintain the joke you tend to have people that kind of um, believe it a little bit more. You're more open, I would say, to the public. Well, I think, I think that the key to ma- all magic, Di Vernon was one of my, was a very famous card magician. Uh, he wasn't one of my teachers, but he was somebody I had conversations with. Uh, magic, when it works, and magic in any, in any form of entertainment, is when it looks natural. In other words, if you come out and you say, I am the almighty Zod, you know, and I'm going to tell you things that you won't believe, that's bullshit. You just have to come out and act like you're uh, just a normal guy who this stuff happens to. I mean, I used to know one psychic in Hollywood. I'll never forget him because he just, he just looked like a guy that worked in a gas station, you know? He had no. He didn't dress himself up. He didn't, but people believed in him because he was down and dirty like that. He was, he was somebody that you couldn't believe that he was able to do the things that he did. And he did mentalism too. So he was using tricks to, to sell his, uh, his persona. So it's not, it's not what you can do. It's what people think you can do. What about bending a spoon when you see someone bend a spoon? Is that a fake spoon? What about it? <laughs> is it fake spoon? What is it? Oh, I don't want to give away Geller's secrets. There's dozens of books written about spoon bending. You all you have, and all you have to do is go on the internet and put in spoon bending. You'll find a dozen different methods. There's a lot of different methods to do it. Uh, and when it first came out, like I was saying, in like 1969, 60, 869 it was blowing people away because no one had ever done anything like that and they, you know Geller changed silverware forever you know by by being able to do the things that he did and that's again par- partially what got me into the skeptic movement was because it wasn't like taking a green handkerchief and stuffing it in your hand and pulling a red one out oh pretty you know no, this guy was taking metal and bending it, and he would bend it in other people's hands too. So I was, uh, I was fascinated, and a lot of magicians were too, because they saw this guy coming in and changing the face of magic forever, you know, for really with design duplications and metal bending and telekinesis where he'd move things with his mind. These were all things that were in the culture of the paranormal but no one had, had ever really brought them out and, and done them on the, you know, the Mike Douglas show or whatever. So I got, I glommed right onto that. I was like, okay, now we're talking something that, that is different, you know, cause when you're a magician and you're trying to make it in Hollywood, you got to have something different. You got to have something where people will say, 
Well, that first thing he did, I can see that that was a trick. But that last thing, that could not have been a trick. And, you know, one of the favorite phrases, Susan and I have traveled to many different places in the world. And the line that we hear all the time, which we just love to hear. And when we hear it, we just look at each other. They say, there's no way in the world the psychic could have known that or done that. And we turn around and say, oh, yes, there is. Which doesn't mean we necessarily show them. We try to, or we hint around at it. As far as magic goes, I don't like to give away secrets. But yeah, Geller, he started a whole revolution. Do you ever feel like if you could choose another topic to dive into or be able to expose a little bit, which what would be one that you would pick? I've already exposed. In fact, I found that by exposing it. Uh, Bigfoot. It, uh, uh, Come on. No. Give it to me. No. <laughs> Give it to me. I, that's a, you, you know, by the time you reach my age, which I won't tell you, at this advanced stage in my life. 42. Uh, I, no, I I have I have learned to choose my battles. You know, Bigfoot is for somebody else, and I just it's the least appealing to me. Uh, you know, and and UFOs and all that. I've I've had experiences with some of those things, and I've talked to people who have, but I'm more interested in keeping people from getting ripped off and having their emotions torn out of their heart. Freemasonry. Can you end that? Can you end Freemasonry? Well, I don't have a problem with that. I love gargoyles and I love cathedrals and all of that. So, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a secret society as long Uh, as you're not eating children or something. uh, Yeah, about to say Bohemian Grove, man. That sounds like (laughs) a conspiracy. And then you see the photos and you're like, what is happening right now? Is this LARPing? Are we playing LARPing with our political people? I get nervous on those types of things. That's the rabbit hole I go down. And I'm like, I'm not upset by it. I just wish we had more information on things. Like whenever someone gives me like talking to skeptics, whenever they give me the thing is that's a coincidence. I'm like, I don't fucking believe that. Like, I don't think it's a will of the universe. But if two people are friends as children, then they branch off and they go to other sides of the country. Then 30 years later, they come together and they meet again and their kids are both named the same exact name. I bet you somewhere in their life, they probably talked about it or they heard a name or someone helped them with that name and they got that name and it resonated in both their heads that stuck with them. And that's why they named their kids. But if I give that explanation to someone, they go, well, that's just a coincidence. I'm like, there's no fucking coincidences. It doesn't happen like that. This is why we have conspiracy theories because coincidence isn't a good answer. The word sounds mystical. Hmm. Think it through. Just think it through. I don't know what I can say to that. Uh, I think coincidence is something that, uh, you know, (laughs) if it didn't happen, then I'd worry. Like if someone drops a penny on the ground and then someone because you just you just explained what you you just you 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 gave a mystical and then you explained it. I heard you explain it. You said I shattered my own illusion. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You said. Maybe they heard this name when they were kids and they just forgot about it. And then later they decided to name their kid that. That's not even a coincidence. That's just a that's just a life event that that happened. It probably happens all the time. But people it, will say it's a coincidence. That's the thing. 
is that I've heard that before. Like when I talk about, I used like, to have a line on. that I would say to people, you know, coincidence is science's way of explaining what they don't understand. Period. It's like when um I was talking to Michael Shermer and we were talking about 9-11 and he goes, it's a coincidence. I'm like, hold on a second. They were running a simulated program and they uh, called Operation uh, Vigilant Guardian about a plane going into a building. I'm like, you have to program a simulation. So that's not a coincidence. That's they got a warning probably way, way before. Not that it was going to happen that day. But then Brian explained it to me and he was like, you know, that the president gets like eight to 12 death threats a day. On like society, Brian, Brian, who Dunning? Oh, Dunning. Well, I've worked with Dunning for years. He's a good so. guy. Yeah, absolutely. He's very critical, which I kind of like, but also I feel abused. He could be snarky sometimes. <laughs> I like it though. He's got stuff about Disney I want to know more about because I think Disney controls the world. Well, you should talk to my son because my son is a is a is he a skeptic too? No, but he's he's into this whole Disney is the the Antichrist. It is. It is. He doesn't he doesn't believe it, but he just plays around with his drawings and his cartoons and his he does animation and stuff like that. Anyway, we're getting off the track here. So all these things, uh, you can take them or leave them. Uh, I just prefer to, you know, stay under my little umbrella. Otherwise, I'd be buried with all this shit. That's true. You know, my so, umbrella, my umbrella is what I've seen and what I've observed in my own life. And I focused very carefully on performers who say they have occult powers. Yeah. And that's that's really the crux of the issue. And I did it myself. So I know how easy it is to do the simplest magic trick. And, and say that it was a uh, supernatural energy. It's storytelling. And storytellers have always been around. And they're always going to be after, after the nu nuclear Armageddon. When the radiation finally starts to go away, there'll be that campfire. And there'll be some old geezer telling stories. And, you know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. You People really want to hear... I know. Well, I'm just saying that that I mean, who knows what's going to happen that may not even happen for thousands of years. But there's always been storytellers. And uh, my mentor when I was at CalArts was uh, a conceptual artist, and he really drilled that into my mind that storytelling is what all this is about. And that's what people want. They don't want to hear the bad news. They'd rather hear a fairy tale, you know. But even when you look at fairy tales, if you tell a fairy tale, uh, it gets changed around. And when you go back to the original, like I was just reading about Cinderella, the original Grimm's fairy tale was in German. It was another name. But in the original fairy tale, the two sisters get their eyes pecked out at the end. And uh, they, they tried to shape, cut off parts of their foot, their feet, so they could fit it into the glass slipper. I mean, it's some nasty stuff. Disney again, but, Disney coming back with a remake. Yeah, but but they don't, they won't show somebody slicing part of their foot off to fit it in the shoe. For now. The point, the point is horror, folk horror has always been there. And to read it to a child like that mm. is, that's a whole other, whole other aspect of storytelling. Yeah. But we've, we've calmed it down and we've made it into uh, what it is today, which is, 
magic. Well, Mark, I appreciate you giving me your time, man. Um, where can people find Psychic Blues? And where can people find um, any of your other links as well, too? Okay, well, you can always go to my website. I've written 15 books, and they're Jesus all there. Jesus Christ. Hold on a second. Yeah. I, you mentioned one. I didn't know you wrote 15. I'm over here like, you wrote a book? You're like, I wrote 15, well, Robbie. Well, I wrote 15, but you have to remember most of them are four magicians, and they're not necessarily hardcover, 230 pages long. A lot of them are manuscripts that are, you know, 100 or 150, 200 pages that are that are made for people who want to learn. Like I have one on tarot, one on palmistry, blah, blah, blah. But you're welcome to go to my website. It is www.themarkedward.com. Got it. So remember, it's the and there's no S on Edwards. Uh, as far as getting Psychic Blues, you can get it on Amazon. <clears throat> but I want to, again, uh, emphasize that if you like audiobooks, the audiobook is cheaper and it has, it's expanded. It's an expanded version of the, of the book. So by all means, get the book. Get both. You know, you'll need both. Uh, one to loan to people and one to keep for yourself. But if you're going to do it, go to Audible and get psychic blues and uh, listen to it and i guarantee you listen to that book you will have a changed opinion about the world of psychics and mediums i said that's it because i thought you were going to toss me out of disney link as well too you're gonna be like oh mark edwards.com and then you're gonna be like hashtag disney backslash evil no okay. no i'm not into that because i grew up with disneyland uh, as a kid so i they got uh, you brainwashed it's in the rock candy that's how they get you everyone no, looks I, like they're I on never, drugs i never liked i never liked walt, walt disney and i never liked his squeaky clean but believe me i i could tell you stories and there's a story in the book about it has a disney thing in it which is absolutely true and it is shocking because because i was there i didn't hear it from another source I was there and I heard it happen. It's also on the audiobook. Can Pretty you tell amazing. me? Can you tell me? No. Damn it. I don't want to reveal stuff like that because it could get me into trouble. Can you it's tell me off than, air and then I won't ever mention your name? I'll just use the example. No, I don't. I don't Come on, Mark. You could tell me I off air. Want, no. I, I don't want you to use the example. I want you to buy my book or my audiobook and then you will have all of that treasure trove of, uh, of gobbledygook to, uh, to dig into. And it's all true. My book, Psychic Blues, is all true. The only thing I changed, the names were changed to protect the not-so-innocent. Um, no uh, padding in it. It's the real nitty-gritty. I'll link it in the description. I'm upset with you, but that's okay. Yeah, well, you, you know, you, sometimes you just got to just do some research <laughs> fair point thanks for listening to this episode of out of the blank stay tuned for our next episode